It's good to have a portrait of the people who used to live here. People should know. A community shouldn't just disappear, even when it disappears. interlude un pueblo de nada un pueblo de nada uh which is my favorite interlude mm. i think i would say okay um it's really atmospheric yeah uh it uh takes place in a rundown public access tv studio yeah it's, uh, it's wevp tv which we talked about a little bit for act four yeah and um it it's during a like particularly fierce rainstorm uh and like you can hear rain just constantly hammering on the i mean it's pretty much a shack that you're inside yeah yeah and uh you take the role of uh, who is the character that you play it's as? It's Emily. In this Italy. Yeah, Emily. Uh, uh, who you've played as before. Oh, right. That was in... Limits uh, and Demonstrations. Limits and Demonstrations, And yes. technically here and there along the Echo. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, in, in the PC version right, of it. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Um, my And... Uh, I... At lunch today, my friend was playing here and there along the, the Echo on his Switch great <laughs> and like i was like you can just call up that number if you like need to like to listen on headphones <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> uh but yeah so like emily is sort of the viewpoint character uh she is the one that is she's basically acting as the director um of the television program the news program they're running yeah um and she's supported by I the only one I can remember the name of is Slow Mo the Crow. Slow Mo the, the Crow is a crow that is trained to work the the like video switcher. It rules. I love him so uh, much. You also have Elmo the meteorologist. Yes. Uh, who is uh, doing the, the, the nightly weather broadcast with musical accompaniment from Cyrano from uh, Act yeah, Four. I also don't think he speaks at all, because he's talking to you. So I think that Cyrano just plays music, and Elmo just, like, does his, like, uh, dye droplets in water to visually communicate the weather. Yeah. Because that's what I got Yeah, he doesn't it. just do the weather. He does, like, an abstract art presentation that is a metaphor for the weather broadcast. Weather forecast, rather. It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. It's a it's a very like it's a concept that your hippie friend in college would have come up with right. for <laughs> displaying the weather. Uh, you also have Ben and Bob, uh, who are just not helping with anything. They're just sitting on a couch working on an old radio they think is haunted. 
Yeah, they're trying to yeah. find ghosts in the radio. Yeah. Uh, who else you got? You got Ron. Something up with that. Ron provided radio. the pots and pans. Something to up catch with that radio. Wait, oh wait, Sorry. what? What about the radio? I was I was making a Silent Hill joke. Oh, but didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, you got Ron, who's there to provide pots and pans to catch all the rainwater leaking in, uh, and to be on the show because he made an art piece to exhibit. Yeah, he made his own VHS short movie. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, who else you got? I mean, you have the uh, the host of the show, Rita. Uh, who's just really good at it. She's so good at it, is the thing. Uh, Rita is about as good a TV host as we are podcast hosts, I would say. I feel like Rita's character model has a weirdly big head. I... I can't say I noticed. Huh. Yeah, it's because what we haven't talked about yet, or I, I brought it up prior to this... But there's two versions of this. There's Un Pueblo de Nada that you play in Kentucky Route Zero. And then there's also a website, wevp.tv, where you can see a live-action portrayal of the show that they're putting on. Oh. Of course there is. Oh, did you not know about that? Oh, it's so good. No, I did not. (laughs) I, frankly, would argue pretty hard that it's kind of essential viewing for the full experience, and I'm... A little confused and somewhat miffed that it's not in, like, the complete edition they put out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I there was no indication that that was a thing that existed. No, they don't even, like, allude to the website in the game anywhere. It seems very strange to me. It's a weird omission. Yeah. Because, yeah, uh, you can literally, like, see Rita and Ron, and like, you can't see anyone behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at screenshots now of it, and yeah, this is... Huh. Yeah. That's wild. Oh, it's wild, all right. <laughs> Everything um, on that tape is wild. <laughs> uh, that's also where you can it's find... It's true. Uh, everything? <laughs> everything. Uh, that's also where you can find uh, the Junebug video where the, she performs. Yep. Also, just uh, some weird, like, there's an emergency broadcast that's just all text. It's like, this is an, an emergency broadcast. If you're seeing this, it means that something's bad has happened. But we don't know what it is because it's in the future from when we're recording this. You have more information <laughs> than us, but it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm looking at the game screenshots, and I guess Rita's head is slightly larger than the average head in this game maybe it's just the the perspective you see her from or maybe it's that i saw the person playing rita and then went and saw the game model and for some reason her head struck me as big i don't know i mean ron's head is bigger Uh, i don't know uh but uh yeah you kind of just look through the eyes of emily as this uh tv show is produced the thing that i think is a problem with just the video game version is you don't get to see the videos that are being played throughout the broadcast and like there's a documentary about the pueblo de nada the thing that the interstitial is named after yeah that strikes me as important information i suppose so yeah like um 
Yeah, because they because they, they make a big deal out of like playing both the Un Pueblo de Nada video as well as Ron's like homemade like documentary or whatever the heck he did. Yeah, you oh, get all so the good. you get all the dialogue around the videos, but you don't get to see them unless you go to the website. Yeah, and in, instead you just like talk to the crow about what's happening. Yeah. And listen. Crow's great. Hey, yeah. I'm not here the, the, to say anything bad about Slow Mo the Crow. Um, uh, but kind of the big centerpiece of the night uh, is that a traveling artist named Maya has come to town. Uh, she is a sculptor who works with Earth. She makes mounds and piles of dirt. That's her thing. Yeah. Uh, and this town has some, uh, very old burial mounds that she wanted to come out and look at. Uh, so she made the hike out here, because this is the town that no roads lead to, that, uh, here and there along the Echo hinted at. Uh, so the only way to find it is by following the one power line leading to it through the woods, and it's a very long, like, all-day hike. It's yeah. This is a very hard place to get to. Yeah. yeah, and she has and she has to do it in a raging storm. Yeah, or at least the last part of it. Well, oh yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, no, she's been in town all day because they mentioned that like oh they like they threw like a whole like lunch party for her. Oh right, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah like yeah, when Rita the, the town's she's really like, oh, you... small. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that she came there is a big deal. Yeah, you immediately get the impression that these people don't meet folks from out of town very often, and they're always excited to see a new face. Yeah. I mean, when you're as isolated as that, like, yeah. people aren't going to be coming out very often. Although it is a little weird, because we're going to find out the town's not that isolated. Like, it's connected to the Echo River. Yeah, but, like, that's... That's the Echo River. It's not really, like, a road in the traditional sense. No, I understand that, but there is a ferry that, like, goes up and down it all day long. True. Yeah. But there's a lot of stops on the Echo River, and this is just one. And you know what? That's a real tall staircase going down into the Echo River, so I can get why people don't want to bother with it most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like it'd be a real pain in the ass to climb. Yeah. Um, they should really think about installing yeah, so, a like elevator in that hole. Yeah. So throughout the night, um, the the rain gets worse. Uh, you you can actually see the studio begin to flood. Um, and uh, yeah, and like there's a great bit where she's like, "Oh great, now my socks are dr- like are wet. Now I've got wet socks." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Wet socks are the worst. Yeah, it's interesting um, because Emily has been like a character since Act One, but and even though you've played as her before, like this is the first time you really get a strong sense of her like interiority. Yeah, because most of Pueblo de Nada is like her internal monologue. Yeah, yeah. she's she's got a very dry sense of humor. Yeah, uh-huh. and also she's very socially awkward. Yes, there's a great running bit in this where it's like, uh, the 
Rita goes like, well, you know, I guess that's possible. You know, Saturn, you know, Saturn's in retrograde. And she's like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> right, but everybody keeps telling her that. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I guess, I've like, heard. Saturn's in retrograde, so I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, uh, at, at some point, they also... Weaver also comes up here uh, because Weaver has been... Weaver used to work at the station. Right. Uh, I can't remember what her job description was. I don't know if they get specific with it, but they do explain that, like, yeah, this is a public access TV station. The funding is all provided by consolidated power by court order because it was determined that they had a broadcast monopoly and as punishment have to fund this public access station for free. Uh, But then everyone who actually works there is totally volunteer because they have exactly enough budget to produce the show and no more uh so we were used to be one of the volunteers and one day she just left and that's like not uncommon people can't do a job for free for very long yeah uh, but also ever since then uh-huh. they have occasionally gotten pirate broadcasts yeah from weaver that don't seem to serve a purpose and they can't figure out how she's doing it <laughs> right and it's the broadcast of that that shannon watched in act four and that we find out she watched back in act one the like the the yeah. male in the school and these tragic horses are gonna drown that that whole thing yeah uh and yeah speaking of horses this town well another quirk of this town besides the fact that there's no roads to drive to it uh there are two horses that uh are not wild per se but they're not owned by anybody and they're just free to roam the town however they want yeah i think their explanation was that like there used to be domesticated horses but then the domesticated horses were set free right the pueblo de nada were a people that came up from central america and they were a very like uh social experiment heavy like culture and they had this whole idea of like we're just going to arbitrarily introduce new rules for our society that everybody has to follow and then we're gonna like take notes and study the effects that those rules have on like our overall level of happiness and if it's good does this come from the live action version of this thing yes it does okay <laughs> you see what good. i mean about it being good to important? know <laughs> yeah i am sorry to see that uh, and they, basically, yeah, they, they like if these rules are good and make everyone happy, then we'll keep them. Otherwise, we'll throw them away and pick some new random rules and just see what it, what happens. And like the opening of the documentary, the first line is that the people of uh, Nothing's first experiment in Kentucky was to free their horses. Uh, and, it is yeah, so also so extremely good. Their fake like per, like. The sweet spot of making something that is obviously like student made, uh-huh. uh, or like, like student made, or like someone with like good enough equipment to make it, but like not enough know how to make it good. <laughs> it is something that I could conceivably imagine being on like a like state level PBS station. Yes, and like you're like tired at like midnight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the, the footage is all just, like, about ten different photos 
and uh, then it's just a voiceover in Spanish with subtitles. And the only special effect is that it closes on a black cat, and then at the end, the the image inverts so that it's a white cat. I see. <laughs> Here's the other thing. A black cat and a white cat, huh? Uh-huh. Here's the other thing. This documentary was made years before the events of the game, and it's about uh, a culture of people who died 100 years ago. All of the photos are very clearly of the buildings that are about to be destroyed in the flood. Like, it's all the wrecked buildings of the town. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, they talk about how, oh, the reason we know about so much about the people of nothing is that they had all of this data uh, in a building that uh, we refer to as the Video Data Bank, which is in the TV station and is not the library that you go to in Act 5. <laughs> There's, like, a weird, like, time... Not loop, but it's... it Again, time makes no sense in Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's good. But yeah, at some point, um, like, as the storm's getting real bad, uh, the power cuts out for a moment. Um, I think it's Ron goes outside to check on things. Yeah, yeah. Um, while he's gone, the power just suddenly comes back, and then I believe it's soon after that that Weaver's broadcast happens. Yes, that is true. And they're and, just uh, kind of like, ah, shit, it's this again. Right, they were kind of joking about it earlier in the night, like, ah, fuck, like, we are about due for another one of those. Like, they're not, they don't happen like clockwork, but there is a certain, like, general frequency of them, and we're about due, and then it happens. And as it's happening, the flood completely destroys the building. Mm-hmm. And I think for the, like, two years since it came out, everyone just assumed that everybody in the station died in the flood. Yeah. Uh, and that that's why Emily, Ben, and Bob are ghosts in Act 1. Uh, except, that's initially what I thought, too, except that's definitely not what happens when you no. get to Act 5. No, no, no. I do... And, I, yeah, go ahead, Ashley. I was also going to say that, like, the how, the way you control the gate, uh, this interlude, is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of, uh, like, it, it, like, it was the first time that you could, like, oh, like, there has been a budget increase on this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Since they have last done this. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're also, a, like, a lot, you're a, a lot closer to people than you normally are. Like, you're basically getting an over-the-shoulder view of the studio right? Uh, as Emily, and it, it almost controls, like, a third-person adventure game. It's where... like if your left stick was broken in Resident Evil 4. Yeah. <laughs> Except, no, yeah. no, because you can't, that's not how Resident Evil 4 works. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but yeah, you basically, you can, you can rotate... Uh, Shannon around to like look at different things um, but yeah you're basically just your camera is fixed on a central axis and you just rotate the camera around yeah. to view the studio uh, in a circular motion which uh, is a pattern that happens again in act 5 right uh, I do before we move on from this just also want to say there's a lot of really funny stuff in this yeah like, we, we 
touched on it, but everything with Ron is so good. Is very, yeah, it's very funny. Like, Rita just introduces it and says, like, alright, I want to talk, you know, Ron brought us a video and I'm really excited to show it. I haven't seen it yet, but I saw the title he wrote on the case. This is a tape called Wild. And then it is just black and white video static that occasionally, like, the camera finds the right light exposure level to show you about three frames of a horse or a dog before immediately cutting to static again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh... And then he comes on and he's, like, tapping his knees, like, like that, like, really excited to talk about it. They're like, all right, yeah, Ron, what do you want to say about, uh... About the video we just watched. He just goes, everything on that tape was wild. And he does, like, jazz hands at the camera. Yeah. Where he's like, even the horses, everything on that tape was wild. Right, they're like, wait, but what about the, the dog? I think it had, like, a leash on. And he just, like, kind of... Wild. He's kind of... He's not even that. Like, he's annoyed at them that they're questioning it. He's like... Everything on that tape was wild yeah and then they uh, take a phone call and it's a guy who has like a 40 minute story about a raccoon oh and... that fucking guy in the raccoon i keep forgetting you haven't seen the the live action version of it where yeah you just have to sit and listen to this guy and just be like yeah and then um so this is uh this is jeff uh, the first time i called in you called me uh geoff but no it's 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 pronounced jeff um i found these uh raccoons in my trash it disturbs me how accurate your <laughs> representation of this is it's unsettling yeah he's like you know and uh you know first i was i was annoyed by the raccoons but uh i think uh yeah i don't, I don't know if we're friends yet but uh you know uh, we, we have to move on we, we might get there soon um, we can't talk about raccoons anymore then i was uh, well, then i was walking through the woods and i found like a. uh actually i think we should talk about act five yeah but part like of a, what i was saying uh, was I that have to polish it up it might be worth something i don't know uh, it's fine i can just silence him <laughs> yeah uh is that uh, you know, a lot of people were thinking like that is, uh, like how Kentucky Route Zero is going to control in Act Five, uh-huh. obviously. Uh, and it kind of does. <laughs> kinda, that's interesting. I never really assumed that, just because a lot of the interstitials play a little differently. Uh, yeah, but I, I think that also like. Maybe not exactly like that, but like, oh, like this level of detail, like this level of... Like, oh, sure, yeah. Closeness. I mean, the graphics are pretty good in Act 5, it's just the camera's very zoomed out. Yeah, yeah. so like, a- Act 5 keeps the same, like, very basic idea of a camera, like, sort of being on a... Uh, being on a central axis in the middle of a circular scene. Right. Uh, and you're just rotating it around to, to see everything. Uh, but instead of your perspective character being a person who you're looking over the shoulder of, uh, you're instead playing as little kitty. Yeah. Who's running around. Yeah, it's and the just... cat that uh, you picked up from the Redvansky Center. Uh, wasn't that the white cat? Oh, was it? Maybe I'm getting a mix This up. one's a yeah. black cat. Okay, yeah, the okay, black cat is from the town. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, the white cat is there, but you're you're playing as the black cat, gotcha. um, and you're basically wandering around listening to uh, the characters that we've met so far react to the aftermath of the storm's destruction and figure out what comes next. Yeah, it's similar kind of to the end of Act 2 where Ezra's running through the woods in that, like, you're kind of just running in circles, but every time the camera swings back around, like, time has advanced. So the it characters are doing clear, something new. It's not like, how long time has advanced. Right. Uh, it opens up on just a shot of the town, which is just half submerged in water. Like, the rain has stopped, but there's just a ton of standing water. Most of the buildings have been destroyed, and there weren't that many of them. Yeah, no. And, uh... Uh, Ron is kneeling over one of the town's wild horses, which I don't think we mentioned. Uh, they're called the Neighbors. That's just the fun Good. name that the townsfolk gave them. Yeah. The Neighbors. Neighbors. <sighs> and they're dead. Yeah, they're they're dead. They got killed in the storm. Um. But yeah, so we also see that... Um, Shannon and the the rest of the crew um, came up uh, from the big hole in the ground um, yeah. and seemed to have arrived shortly after the storm ended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they've had to drag all the furniture up from the truck by themselves. And it's like, I remember finishing Act 4 and assuming that, like, Oh, you're going to open the truck and it's going to be something crazy in there. Like, oh, God, that's what yeah. Conway had in the truck all along? Wow. But yes. really, it's, you know. Just some boxes and furniture. Yeah. I'm imagining it's going to be the box from Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> but no, it's, yeah. just some, it's just some furniture. It's like a sofa and, like, a coffee table and, like, a dresser. Well, I mean, when you think of it. Think about it. There are some parallels between Weaver and the Master of Masters. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm out. <laughs> uh, and they have finally found Dogwood Drive. It is a weird, abstract sculpture of a house that is not enclosed on all sides. Yeah, it's like, what if you took the house icon, like... The thing it's, that you see what if you in browsers. Hollowed out a monopoly house that you can yeah. build and scaled it up to the size of a three-story house. Yeah, it's it's, and even in a place that this town doesn't have particularly consistent architecture. Yeah. Uh, but even then, it sticks out significantly. It's a really yeah. weird image because it's. It's not a house, but also it's shaped like a house, and I don't know what other word to describe it with. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the closest. It's the closest word we have for it, really. It's, yeah, it's yeah. bizarre. And uh, Emily mentions when she sees all of them bringing the furniture over to it that it wasn't there last night. It just showed up sometime in the middle of the night. Yeah. So that's fine. <laughs> and. The like, a lot of people probably expected a lot of st things from this, this act. I am surprised I have not seen more people angry about Act Five. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think the reason why is because it, it, it still works. 
it still works, and also there's probably an extent to which, like, listen, it's Kentucky Route Zero. You're kind of in for a penny and for a pound. Yeah, yeah. Like even but be- even between acts, like there was, there has been plenty of subversion of expectations. Yeah, um, because uh, there is not going to be like some cool magical reveal. It's not going to be like, oh, all right, gang, now that we've gotten to Dogwood Drive, let's put together a plan to go rescue Conway. Like, it's... Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Conway does not come back. Conway's done. He... Yeah. He's lost. And, like, there's not, like, some big moment where they realize how to stop the energy company. No. There because, like, not... the energy company is this pervasive influence, but they're not, like, a direct antagonist per se they're just kind of always in the background being awful mm-hmm. and like, yeah go ahead sorry like they're still awful here oh yes yeah and I'm, I'm using that as a transition to talk about like part of the reason why this town got so devastated by this flood mm-hmm. is because it wasn't it was it was a built company town that they kind of abandoned yeah, for reasons that I don't remember if they go into, basically they shut down the power plant around here. Uh, and I almost thought of it as, like, when Google just shuts down a project in a small town. Right, yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. just because they're like, eh, we're done. Yeah, for sure. Like, the the why isn't super important. Um, and uh, people that moved out to the middle of nowhere for this job were now just stuck in the middle of nowhere. Uh, a lot of them moved away, but some people stayed behind and built a little community out of it, and they got to a point where, like, they liked it this way. Um, mm-hmm. But the power company built all of the buildings very cheaply, so they couldn't withstand the elements very well. And they also failed to properly, like, dig drainage ditches. Yeah, uh, Ron mentions, um, uh, yeah, if those greedy sons of bitches had finished that drainage ditch when they were supposed to. Yeah. Uh, one of the, like, uh, sort of secret videos you can find on wevp.tv is, uh, a bulletin that's like, anyone interested in working unpaid overtime to work on the drainage ditch, get in touch with us. It's an important responsibility. <laughs> uh, they mentioned that they hired one contractor to dig the entire thing. The out of towner. Oh, yeah, yeah. They they just call the guy the out of towner, and you kind of learn he's almost like a weird like folk hero for these like six people. Uh, because the company worked him until he wasn't able to work anymore, and even that. One guy can't dig a drainage tump, like system for a whole fucking town. And uh, the people were so, like, disgusted at, by the way that uh, this worker was treated that they, like... I think what uh, the what Nikki, one of the townsfolk, says is, like, we were ungovernable after that. Yeah, and one of the people is... Like, it, the per- lady who reads the poem, she's, like, obsessed with the out-of-towner. Yeah, yeah. Like, she writes a lot of poems about the out-of-towner. Um, the one thing, like, I, I, there are, 
you could do a satisfactory explanation of this. The one thing that I thought was a little like, oh, I wonder why that doesn't come up. Like, I definitely get why the power company fucked up with this. Uh, even saying they fucked up is like letting them off the hook. It was gross negligence. Uh -huh. I am surprised that after they kind of bucked Consolidated Power that they didn't make it like a big communal project to dig their own drainage ditches, you know? Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Yeah. Which, actually, I've got the review from Austin Walker up right here. And uh, I think he's maybe got a good counter-argument to that, if I can find it real quick. Okay. Talk while I look for it. Yeah, it sounds good. Since we're on Consolidated Power, I, I want to mention one thing real quick uh, from, uh, like, later on uh, during the, the funeral for the neighbors, where they talk about mm -hmm. canned carrots. Uh -huh. Yes. And how Consolidated Power, like, uh, just got rid of a bunch of canned carrots by sending them to this town uh and they tried them but they just had had no taste they some of them looked gray so they tried to so they opened them and then tried to like leave them for the neighbors to eat but even because you know horses love carrots right but even the neighbors wouldn't touch them and the raccoons also wouldn't Oof. uh and then consolidated power just sent them an invoice for every can of carrots they opened oh jeez. yeah uh, okay yeah i found the bit i was thinking of uh, again, this is from Austin Walker's review of this game, which I think is uh, just about the best thing you could write about Kentucky Route Zero. Uh, he says, The consolidated system, that is, the American system, has no room for accidents or mistakes, at least not individual mistakes. If you fall down the stairs and chip a tooth, it's a profound personal failure, because you should have known you might fall down the stairs and chip a tooth and planned your life accordingly. The same logic exonerates the powerful and pushes the blame back on their victims. Corporate malfeasance, bureaucratic blunders, these get a pass, because according to this logic, the people who get harmed are really the people who should have been doing something differently. Sometimes the pipes under your house belch up poison water, and you drink it for years, and you get sick. But you should have bought those filters there was never any reason to think you needed. Sometimes a city conspires to turn your neighborhood into a dump, and the air around you gets a little worse, and you develop a cough. But really, why didn't you just move? Sometimes dozens of coal miners lose their lives in a collapse, but that's only because they chose to lay down their lives for the cause of black gold, not because the company ignored safety precautions and calculated the cost of disaster was cheaper than prevention. So, that, that's also, yes, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, it shouldn't be their responsibility for them to be safe. Like, yeah, when, yeah. when they have been brought out here by this horrible corporation right I, and i to be clear i agree with that 100 it's just one of those things where they are presented as so like steadfastly and like stubbornly self-sufficient that i am surprised that doesn't come up in conversation at least like at least as an explanation for you know hey we had other priorities that i mean they, they might have thought that if they tried to dig the ditch themselves that like the power company would get on their case for you yeah, know that's also destroying awesome. the land that like, they have yeah, like no a right line to dig and up. like who, who knows like yeah like who knows we may have mixed all missed it yeah the, the that also might just be in the game and I didn't get that dialogue for all I know uh like hey if you like oh like one of us tried to dig 
and we got, you know, find this. Right, right. Uh, Luke, this is a good, this is the point to tell about the dice. Oh, right. Okay. So, well, so yeah, when you get to, uh, Dogwood, like, and you talk about it, you get a title card, which kind of, that's a new thing for this act that kind of splits everything up. And it just says like, we salvaged what we could and time sort of skips ahead a couple hours and you see that everybody is kind of getting to work trying to fix things up as best they can, collecting things that weren't destroyed by the water. Ron is, like, dedicated to pulling the horses up out of the water. Um, at some point during all of this, Emily, Ben, and Bob kind of take a break, and they're sitting at a picnic table talking, and uh, Shannon walks up to them, and they're talking about this cool game that they want to play, and I forget who... Joseph is one of their uncles, and they're like, oh, yeah, we can play in his gas station's basement. That'd be perfect. Ah, oh, shit, but uh, I lost the D20 with this game, though. I don't know where to find it. And if you took the D20 with you in Act 1, Shannon will go, Oh, actually, wait, I think I have one in my pocket? And I don't really know where it came from or why I have it. You want it? And they're just like, Oh, uh, wow, yeah, that's perfect. Oh, it even glows in the dark. That's so cool. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. You can give their die back. That, I feel like I'm probably not describing it in the right way to justify what I'm about to say, which is, that made me cry a little bit. Just the idea that, like, like, I made that choice, and it has this, like, tiny little consequence later, and it's a choice Conway made, and Conway's not here anymore, but, like, the things he did are still, like, echoing in other people's lives, and it just, it got me. The entirety of Act 5 is, if I explained this to you just using, like, by saying what actually is happening, yeah, you I... would think it's ridiculous. Uh, but if, like, I need to explain, like, much longer to get you to understand why this made me cry. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. Th this whole thing is, is, like, custom made to make you cry at some point. Yes, for sure. Uh, for me, uh, it was for the neighbors. Yeah, yes. which that happens at the very end, so we should we should hold off. But yeah, because uh, there's um, other things to talk about still. Yeah, like everyone is kind of walking around town, like wondering what they're going to do next. Yeah, uh, there's like a lot of talk of whether they're going to move on or if they're going to try to rebuild. Yeah, and you could kind of like choose what you think you want out of that. Right, right. You also, there's a running thing where the main cast, like Shannon and Junebug and Johnny and them, go into the weird Dogwood house, and they're like, that's weird, it's a little bit warmer in here, and I can't really explain why, but this strange, like, sterile white sculpture of a house feels weirdly homey? And we have all this furniture to fill it up with. I don't know why, but I kind of want to just live here now? That's weird, right? Yeah. And, like, they're, like, at first they're, like, well, we need to, I guess, like, build this house according to the person who is going to live in it. Yeah. Like, you know, like, this person who ordered all of this stuff that we don't know. Yeah, yeah. And it just, like, eventually starts, like, oh, no, we're just, like, building this house for us. Right. Yeah. Uh, you can also make choices here uh, about, like, how... Junebug and Johnny interact with Ezra like right. you can you can sort of like solidify you know what they do you yeah. can also and I, I have a feeling that we all made the same choice with that yeah I think so 
like I I had them I I had them settle down and take care of Ezra. Yep. 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 Uh, Johnny's gonna take hold of that uh, waffle shop. Yeah, right. he's his very own waffle house. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so you're, you're talking to Elmo, the weird kind of quirky meteorologist from in Pueblo de Nada, and you find out that he's like this really interesting guy who runs this like breakfast restaurant, and he he's telling Johnny all these stories about when Consolidated was here, and he like led the labor movement against them and like marched through the streets of the town picketing. And he's like, yeah, I don't know, I was kind of, you know, shy and embarrassed to do it, but fuck them. Yeah, like... I hate them. I hate like, them so much. Even this, like, weird, like, little dude is... Like... It's so much like, like, no, like, you... It just came to a point where I said, no, I got... Like, this is, like, not something I would usually do, but fuck them. Right. I'm going to stand up. Yeah, the, the, like, Un Pueblo de Nada into Act 5 is such a cool trick, because Un Pueblo de Nada, and especially the live-action stuff, is all, like, played for laughs. It's just, here's this cast of weirdos with a bunch of bullshit art, like, quote-unquote art pieces, or performance pieces that aren't any good, that they're weirdly proud of. None of them talk like real human beings that are all very awkward and like stilted and it just ah ha 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 all these doofuses and then act five is yeah okay here's why those awkward doofuses are uh interesting uh lovely people that you should respect and care about and it works yeah and they'll also be the crux of some of the most emotional moments you'll experience yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well, and it's very, like, the fact that Act 5 focuses so hard on characters that were only introduced immediately before Act 5, as opposed to, like, Shannon kind of fades into the background in Act 5. Like, she's there, and she's got her own stuff going on, but it's, like, one plot thread among several. Yeah, you yeah. can make, like, a couple choices with her, like, whether she she also wants to stay in the town. Yeah. What she, if you, if Blue's still with you, what she intends to do with Blue I think yeah. I picked like I I I think I had Shannon pick. I'm hoping to get her back to Conway at some point. Oh, yeah, that's why I picked. Yeah, I didn't have Blue. I didn't have Homer with me, so I couldn't have make that choice. Yeah, <laughs> Homer went with his master. Yeah, uh, you, just, you just see a little dog skeleton. Oh God, oh, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just the fact that it focuses on all these brand new characters, but like it feels right. It really cements the idea that Kentucky Route Zero isn't even necessarily a, like an ensemble piece. It's just there isn't really a main character or a group of main characters. It's just the main character is this whole community. And yeah, you the... get to see it from a lot of different points of view by the end of it and kind of just come to understand how all of these people come together to form a whole yeah kentucky route zero you know overall is while while it portrays individuals sympathetically it is less concerned about individuals than it is about how those individuals become part of a whole yeah 
uh, and how that whole can become a movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also a thing where I think because you're a cat, you can see ghosts. You know, like cats yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah, you can see ghosts of the of the un pueblo de nada. Yeah, uh, Luke, you said that like it was a ridiculous thing, like you were doing like a sarcasm. Uh-huh. But no, cats could just see ghosts. Okay. I mean, we've all we've all played murdered soul suspect, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I haven't. But you know what? I have played ghost trick, and dogs can see ghosts, so why not cats? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I can't talk about ghost trick right now. No, we can't. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about good games. Wow, Whoa. you are not. You are in the un. Playblow day wrong video game opinion. <laughs> nice one. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh yeah, and like you're just seeing you get little vignettes with the ghosts. Um I I feel like I must have missed a couple of these because it felt like yeah. some of them some of them were like building up to resolutions that I didn't get and like maybe that's the point, but it didn't feel Did like Did you the get point. the one where it floods? Nope. Okay. So that one's that's kind of like the capstone to it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, like, there is one where you can get... Because, like, there's a story basically where it, it, it kind of all revolves around a... The character is just known as the Seer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Seer has predicted a great flood. Uh, and basically has sent... Um, I can't remember what this character's name is. but, yeah, but it's like another a, title. Yeah, it's another title. Has sent a person to um, basically dig the big hole that we see leading to um, the Echo River to find a place where they can escape the flood. Um, But their efforts turned out to be, you know, too late. uh, And the town floods anyway with the scout still gone. Um, the seer is still in the village, uh, and the seer basically, uh, huddles under a, sort of like, huddles in a, um, little corner of, uh, so, this is gonna be hard to describe visually, describe in words, but like, the, the structure of the town is that there is a, the center is this low, is this, is the lowest point of the village, and then the village kind of slopes out from there. Yeah, it's like a funnel shape, but a very, like, yeah. not a very tall funnel. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a mild funnel shape. But, like, um, at the bottom, uh, there is a section of, like, the bottom of the funnel shape that dips in to the side of the slope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is where the you get the vision, and it's implied that is where the seer stays and lets herself be consumed by the flood. I see. Um, let me. There's also she also lets something go, and I really need to figure out what that <laughs> is. Yeah, well, you look that up. There's also like a different uh, running side plot with the Pueblo de Nada uh, with a guy named Fraser, who. Uh, who hears the blues of Colin? Blues of Colin, Toss Scramp, Toss Scrambling. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, who uh, basically, you know, I, I set it up before, they had this whole idea of like, oh, let's just experiment with 
whatever new ideas we have and just see how they work out. And Frazier had the really cool idea, what if we experimented with fascism and I can just be uh, the authoritarian leader of everybody? And everyone's like, well, let's try it, I guess. And it uh, didn't go well, it sounds like. Uh, I, again, I feel like I might have missed some of the Frasier stuff, but the one big bit I did see was, like, someone who was in charge of their library was, like, furious because Frasier had decided to do a new experiment where, what if we just, like, burn any of the books that I don't think are important in here? And yeah. everyone is just going along with it, and he is, like, stealing books from the library that he wants to preserve, and he's just gonna run out into the woods and hide out with them. And, uh, again, I feel like there must have been, like, one more vignette that kind of capped that story off, but I didn't find it. Um, yeah, like, basically, it is their commentary on how a, you cannot just be a society that allows everything. Yeah. Is that when capitalism and fascism, like, and the, how those are intertwined, come for you, you must be like Elmo and stand the fuck up. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here... I'm actually just going to read most of this seer stuff, because it's really fascinating. Okay. Um, so, it, I believe this is chronologically the first one. Thank, thank you for whoever made these full text dumps of this game. Yeah. Uh, she, watched, uh, she watched him. She stood in her own shadow. A few deer hunters and talkers walked past, but said nothing to the seer. Didn't even look. She studied the path. Uh, he walked deliberately, his eyes closed. He was already remembering the path. This was the path the seer had found in her scrying game, a series of private dice rolls and inscrutable diagrams. The community trusted this game. It had led them to fish-filled streams, intimate knowledge of the elements and the stars, even here to the cenote, uh, the cenote settlement. They trusted it without understanding it, and now the game had revealed to the seer this vital route, which would lead them to the safety uh, before the next floods came. At the end of the route, she'd seen a safe, quiet place. Ca caverns of leathery black birds, a lake of eyeless fish, a towering flame. Now the diver walked the mounds, memorizing the route. He was almost ready. Um, let me see here. I'm just going to skip one of these. Sure. Uh, I'll just go to the, the what I believe is the final one chronologically. The, the seer huddled in the small cave. The deer hunters ran by, shielding their eyes from the torrential rain. It must have looked like she was taking shelter, but she was waiting for the water to rise and envelop her. Uh, she wedged her leg and shoulder into rocky corners, settling in. The floor was slick and muddy, and she had a feeling of drifting with the water, like the cave was, cr like the cave was a cramped boat. She closed her eyes. The water was warm. It rose above her knees. It reminded her of the womb. She closed her eyes. She wondered where the diver was now, if he had found the end of the route. Was he on his way back, or had he been lost underground? Either way, it was too late. She thought back to the first flood, long before her birth, a flood she had only seen in dice rolls. She stayed there for a while, and then opened her eyes again. Now the water was crossing her heart. She took the game pieces from her bag and released them gently into the flood. Huh. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, so yeah. she clearly sees the Hall of the Mountain King, and right? And the like, like underground rivers that like uh, Sam dives for fish in. Yeah, 
Yeah, it and almost makes me want to wonder if the dice that she used... <laughs> yeah, I think that's the implication. Yeah, it is the same glowing one. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the sort of... There's, especially in Act 5, there's a lot of implication of the things that have happened will happen again. Um, right. Because, and, and like, in the game is presented as, like, this sort of almost magical realism, timey-wimey sort of thing. Uh, but also it's, like, it's clearly meant to communicate that the things that these people are experiencing in this moment, uh, Emily and Shannon and Ron and Conway and all these people, these are not unique to modern society. The ways that right. they manifest might be, like, you, you, don't, you didn't have health insurance and, uh, like, you know, uh, like, debt on home loans... Uh, back in the day but ultimately the the way that those things oppress you are are still the same basic idea of as how people have been oppressed in the past right. it's just people come up with new, with new more efficient methods of consolidating power yeah yeah uh yeah, and I like that it doesn't go full bore like they're trapped in a time loop. Yeah. It's, it's just, no, like, things are cyclical and you're never going to be, like, totally rid of the problems that have happened before. They're just going to crop up again in a new shape. Yeah. Yeah, you you will never truly completely win. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean don't fight. Yeah, it just means you have to be aware that, you know, just because you have a success doesn't mean you can just sit on sit on your laurels because maybe the next maybe the next oppressor will be you if you're not careful. Right. Yes. Yeah, like the the thing of Act 5 is like the bad guys won. Like Conway's gone and he's not coming back. The town is destroyed. Consolidated power doesn't even have to pay to fund the TV station anymore cuz it's gone. Like, the horses are dead. It's just, everything went wrong. Tragedy. The end. Now, like, take some time to mourn, then get up and get to work fixing it. And yeah. try again. Like, like, yeah, like, it's, you're not, you didn't win this round, period. But you might win the next one. Yeah, and you can rely on each other in the meantime. The steady, the unsteady, steady, the unsteady. Right. Like, and like, all what, of, yeah, go ahead. All of us are hurting and are in a bad place at points, but it's better together. Yeah. And what it ultimately comes down to is that, like, it, the, the sort of emotional through line of it is that, yeah, the people responsible for this don't fucking care about other people or about the world they live in. Or about anything other than money. So step one to beating them is by caring about all of those things with all your heart. And yeah. thus, 
the whole game ends on a funeral for some horses. Goodbye, horse. That's not the song they sing. <laughs> Goodbye. What if it was, though? It's a way better song. <laughs> yeah, uh, everybody gathers that evening. Uh, Ron has, has been working all day to dig a hole big enough for two horses. Emily, and... like, painted a mural of them. Mm-hmm. That it, like It's not very good, but that... Oh, it's such, a, it's such a cute mural. It's or it's cute, which feels like that's not necessarily funeral appropriate, but also like that's not the point. Yeah, like and she she made this. She like there's a thing about artistic expression in this whole series, and especially with like Un Pueblo de Nada, it turns into like, hey, you know what? Fuck you for thinking like this. Like guy's video art is bad. He wor- He did his best at it, and it means something to him, and it means something to the people he's showing it to. Stop being mean. Yeah. It's like the really heady and good version of, hey, don't make fun of kids on DeviantArt. Right. Yeah. Like, they're just, they're doing art because they love art. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I want to reference your article, Luke, which is, again, I think is very good. Oh, yeah. We've referenced it. Yeah. This is, uh, I wrote a thing called Everything on That Tape Was Wild, which this was... Kind of the main point of. and <laughs> uh, uh, Yeah. And also, it points out just how fucking angry Ron is. Yeah. Which I, yeah. I like, love how angry Ron is. Yeah. Because it's not like uh, he's running around, like, yelling at everything. It's just he's doing this job slowly but surely and just going, they didn't care. They didn't fucking care. They didn't care. Yeah. Like, there's a point, like, midway through the day where he is kind of taking a break, and he is just seething to himself about how all of this was avoidable, if not for the money-grubbing bastards that caused it. And then he, like, stops himself in the middle of his rant and be like, ah, shit, I need to funnel some of this anger into the work I'm doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, this... (laughs) Like, Ron's just kind of a goofball in... The interlude. He's a huge uh, goober. <laughs> but, like, he's such a good guy in, in Act 5. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite is Nikki, though. And, and Nikki's, Nikki's portions are the ones that, like, got tears from me pretty consistently. Nikki, also kind of a goober in Un Pueblo de Nada. Yeah. <laughs> like, she reminds me of every fucking poet I had to go to on a field trip to some like local like art thing uh and like oh this lady's gonna t- gather around elementary school children for this lady in a scarf even though it's like april and she's gonna tell you some old kentucky folk tales <laughs> uh but then yeah no she's great in act five yeah and do we want to get to the funeral yeah i, I, think, I think so yeah, yeah. But yeah, you were going to say something more about Nikki, I think, Dustin? Yeah, like, before the funeral happens, she has this really great uh, personal story about her experience with the neighbors, how she would uh, walk out 20 minutes to a particular clearing where they especially liked the grass there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just going to quote part of it because I love it so much. Yeah. Uh, and, and it'll tie into sort of what I 
want to talk about with how Kentucky Route Zero uses horses once we finish this up. Yeah. Uh, where she says, I'd go out to that clearing and just watch them in my shame, grief, and anger. And they knew, any of you who spent some time with these horses will remember, they knew just what I was feeling. I could tell. It radiated off them like sweat evaporating. Creatures of pure compassion and forgiveness. That kind of forgiveness Frost meant when he wrote something we somehow haven't to deserve. When I go, I want to be buried out there in that clearing and feed that grass they loved. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's good. It, it's, it says a lot that this game makes me care for horses. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to learn you don't like horses either? I'm, I'm not a horse girl. I got nothing uh, against horses. I would say I am neutral on the topic of horses. Yeah, okay. I'm allergic to horses, so I got a little against horses. Oh, okay. All right. I'm, I am the pro-horse person on, yeah, on this podcast, yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then, then you have a funeral for them. and um, Yeah, like everybody kind of speaks a little piece. Like Emily tries to step forward and talk about them. And she, like, realizes very quickly into her story that they never named the horses. And she's like, oh, my God, why didn't we ever name them? Fuck, I just got to call them the brown one and the gray one now. Yeah, I really like Emily's speech. Uh (laughs) Yeah, but I also love Rita cutting. Like, one of the dialogue options you can pick is Rita says, like, well, it wasn't our place to name them. They weren't our horses. Like, they, they weren't our pets. They were our neighbors. Yeah. Like, they had names. We just didn't know them. Emily's so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I seeing this temp, text dump, uh, I'm I was pretty happy with picking Nikki uh, for one of the speeches at the end, but yeah, boy does Ron have a real good one. Oh, <laughs> uh, what is it? So I'll read the whole thing because it's pretty short and very funny. Uh, Ron says, "I just want to say these horses used to crap on my floors. Yeah, but but it never bothered me too much." I never mentioned it to anyone. I didn't want to make a thing out of it. But if we're clearing the air, well, that happened, and it's okay. I mean, recently, too. I was cleaning up horse crap just a couple days ago. But I'm saying it was okay. It would have been okay if any of you wanted to crap on my floors. I just want to say that. I would have cleaned up after any of you if you crapped on my floor. Like, A... And Emily just says, thanks, Ron. Like, on one hand, that's hilarious and obviously inappropriate for a funeral. (laughs) But on the other hand, like, if you can step away from how silly that comes off, he's expressing a really genuine, like, sentiment yeah. of affection for the people in his life. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be okay if one of you came and crapped on my floors. Yeah. Ron might be a better man than me. <laughs> well, I like that his whole, like, Ron's whole thing is that, like, he is, seems co- coming off as, like, ridiculous and, like, all right, guy, and then... It's like, oh, actually, you're yeah. one of the best of us. Actually, I want you to be my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you be my very weird dad? Yeah. Uh, no, I want, to... I want him, Ron, to be my uncle. I don't want Ron to be my dad. He's an uncle. That's a, that's a good yeah. point. He's, he'd make a real good uncle. Yeah, yeah. I hope Ron is an uncle. Uh, he's going to be uncle uh, to Ezra. Yeah, yeah. yeah that is true. Uncle. That is true. Uh... Nikki comes out and reads a poem, and it is very similar to uh, both, like, the computer password and uh, Junebug song, where you, you're picking the the verses. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's like, I forget what all the options are, but it's one of them, like, there's stage notes with the options. Like, you can pick that, like, she start, like she either clutches the paper tighter or, like, she's starting to tremble while she's reading it. Yeah. And it's just very emotional. Uh, she gives a little speech about, like, you know, th- like, this town died along with these horses. Uh, you know... All of our, like, buildings are wiped out. These horses were, like, a symbol of both, like, our culture and the culture that was here before us. And they're gone now. And, uh, I hear that some people are planning to, like, stay here and try to build something new. You know, God bless you, but I I can't be me. I think is literally what she says. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, like, what she closes on, she says, uh, just know that if you build something here, you're building on top of a grave. But I guess the whole world's that way. Everything's built on top of graves. I'm just like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting emotional just... Uh, uh. It's... Yeah, fuck, man. Um, it's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of like... It's interesting, because you, you can go... You can do, sort of go one of two ways with, with Act 5... Um, and it kind of lets you, like, direct people, like, either way, uh, for the most part. You can either say, okay, this, this town is gone, it's time to leave it behind and, and find a new place, or this town is gone, but, you know, we can make it what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Without the motherfucking power company. Yeah. 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 We don't need them. We can make it how we want to. Yep. And then and I ended Emily up going with the latter. Emily sings a song called Going That Way. Uh, and it is just, yeah, there's no musical accompaniment. She uh, is just standing in front of the grave with everybody gathered around her. And she's singing, and she has a very beautiful voice, and it's a very beautiful song. And everybody is, like, just standing there silently. Uh, and as she sings, all of the ghosts start to fade in, and oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> all of the ghosts just start to show up and, uh, join in on the funeral, and it's just, like, I mean, I'm... <laughs> It's making me cry just. I mean, I near, I nearly choked up just reciting <sighs> that Nikki speech. Yeah, uh, it's it's just this idea that like, you know, it's this tragedy that has spanned like all these generations, and it's like it's going to keep happening. But you can always keep getting up and keep trying to build something again. But there's always going to be funerals like this, and there's always going to be losses and i don't know it's just i I can't put into words what the like visual that they make in this uh just creates in you it's it's really something it is and that there will be things that we lose that we can never get back yeah and like it's not a uh like that the neighbors are like natives. Yeah. Like they are were like they are some of the only people who you could say especially compared to uh the rest of the town. Right. 
like lived there for the longest. Right, and, and it's not like from the timeline they give you, and again, time makes no sense in Kentucky Route Zero. The Pueblo de Nada were there like in the 1900s. They are not like they haven't been there for like centuries. They've been there for like a century, but even so, yeah, yeah. And like I, I think that is them trying to make motion towards, but not involve an actual. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think or so, make up a uh, native tribe. Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh. I I really like how this game uses horses as imagery. Like, uh-huh. they show up so often, and I think the reason for that is because they're they are trying to directly connect like people with horses, and like horses mm-hmm. are the creature that humans should try to emulate mm-hmm. to be a, a better community. Uh, cause the whole thing with horses, um, and it's even brought up in act five is that horses were like one of the first animals to be domesticated, mm-hmm. um, and to be put to work. Uh, they almost exclusively used as labor animals. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were freed. Um, and horses are like naturally form herds they form communities that's right how they live constantly uh they don't have a sense of land ownership um they go where they need to uh and they don't worry too much about having to leave something behind in order to find a future for themselves like the whole herd travels with them to wherever they need to go and they support each other uh and maybe i'm just off my rocker here but i think like one of the the why horses come up so much is because kentucky route zero is like hey wouldn't things be a hell of a lot better if humans just acted like horses like what if we were the neighbors (laughs) right yeah i I can definitely see that reading i will say Hmm. and i'm not disputing that one way or the other a big part of why horses show up so much is that it's kentucky route zero and yeah horses are like soup like kentucky is lousy with horse imagery and iconography and also just actual horses yeah i i think and i think like that helps that imagery feed into it yeah no for sure for sure they're using the preponderance of horses to be like like like, look, all around you, there are examples of how humans could build a better life. Yeah, like I said, in my mind, and again, I am by no means like a scholar of Kentucky art or whatever. I'm just talking about shit I half remember from high school. I remember there being broadly two genres of Kentucky literature, coal and horse. And those <laughs> both are very prominent in KRZ. Yeah. Now, what if you were to put those hands together to make a coal horse. That oh, you got coal in my horse. Oh, you got horse in my coal. Oh, no. It's a, it's like a nightmare, but coal-powered. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, as the service ends, the people kind of dissipate. Um, some of them, like, leave town, uh, but a lot of them walk over to Dogwood Drive, 
which has been converted. It almost looks uh, like a chapel at this point. Uh, like For junk. me, mine kind of looked like a mess hall. Like, it had a kitchen and... Oh, wow, really? Yeah. I did not know it could be different. That's really Yeah, because you, you can choose different things that it could be. Yeah, mine was like a stage with a podium on it and a bunch of seats, and Johnny and Junebug like, climbed up on the stage to play a song. Okay, yeah, yeah that, that was not... Neither of those were mine. What was yours? Uh, mine was like... It almost seemed like like a rec center almost. Okay. Huh. Like it was just all of them like hanging out, like people like, uh, like lounging on the couch and like sitting on boxes and. That's really cool. Uh, I don't remember if it was in my version of it or not, but at least in some versions, uh, Shannon steps outside and Weaver is just sitting on the steps of Dogwood Drive and Shannon sits down next to her and you can see that they're talking but you don't get to hear what they say. I. Did that happen to you? Because I don't remember that happening to me. I don't yeah. remember it happened to me or not. I have seen video footage of it happening. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I... If, if it happened to me, like, I was focused on the stage and I wasn't looking down in the corner where uh, Weaver is, but in at least some versions of it, she's there. Yeah. Yeah. I, huh. I might have missed it, but I do not recall that happening. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of the only end cap you get for Weaver's story, which is still... I don't quite know what her deal is. Because the, so, the implication seems to be the whole, like, Dogwood thing was her idea, right? Yeah, here, here is my incredibly dumb bullshit theory. Okay. So, have you ever read a book by Isaac Asimov called Foundation? Uh, I recognize the name, but I haven't read it. Uh, in Foundation... Um, there is a, uh, school of math that's introduced called psychohistory. Hell yeah. And the idea behind okay, it right. is, <laughs> and the idea behind it is that if you are able to come up with like a unifying theory of mathematics that also allows you to incorporate like political and social theory, uh, into math to mathematize those you know, quote-unquote soft sciences, uh, you can create a accurate mathematical prediction model that you can perfectly predict the future with. Okay. Weaver is described as being a mathematical genius. Right, and she has the formula that she made for hard times. And she has consistently, uh, throughout this... Um, throughout this game, uh, been shown to have like a almost a uh, almost have premonitions of things that people should do. Like she seems to be able to see the future. Sure. Okay. Uh, what if Weaver was so good at math that she was able to accurately predict the actions that people would need to take? to get out from under the control of consolidated power. Maybe? Like, I can... I, I, I don't have a better explanation, I guess. Yeah, it's... It's ambiguous in a way that almost makes me wonder if I missed something, but I don't think I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I will be honest. My, like... I kind of like my theory mostly just because it's ridiculous. Sure. But also, like, yeah, there's... Weaver's plot thread just kind of permanently dangles 
Yeah. And, like, and, like, how a lot of plot points, I think, dangle. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I... I all, like, a lot of the dangling stuff in Act 5, I'm fine with. I do almost wish there was a little bit more with Weaver. And again, maybe there is, and it's just a little out of the way. Uh, I will say, I forget... It's when you're in the lower depths and you talk to Harry a couple times... If you ask him for directions to Dogwood Drive, he'll be like, oh, yeah, you've been getting those letters too, huh? I've just been ignoring them. Huh. <laughs> so she was also, like, she was, it almost sounds like she was mass mailing out invitations to Dogwood Drive to, like, a lot of people. Hmm. Which, again, like, that fits into the idea of, like, hey, yeah, come be a part of this town away from the corrupting influence of capitalism and Harry threw that in the garbage and then sold three people into slavery. Yeah, make make your own anarchist commune. Yeah. Over here in Dogwood Drive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anarchist artist driven commune. Uh do we want to finish this up by talking about uh the final interlude? Yes. Uh, which the outer is uh, Death of the Hired Man. Yes, yeah. the out. The it outlude. drives me nuts that the wiki says that it is the last slash first interlude because it's between Act Five and Act One. No, again, it's just the last. There's one. not a time loop thing. Like Death of the Hired no. Man doesn't set up Act One in any way. Yeah, like honestly, there's not a whole lot of plot relevance to Death of the Hired Man. It's no. mostly there as a capstone to the message of what kentucky route zero is if you didn't figure it out already yeah you uh you can only see it if you have followed the carrington plot through the whole game uh-huh uh and it is carrington goes into the lower depths uh the uh, presumably the same day that like act five is happening in and uh, he talks with Harry for a while. You don't see any of this. For, you are focused on the TV behind Harry, and you can change the channel around to look at different TV shows. Yeah, it's a very uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Um, <laughs> but uh, Carrington explains that his entire show was a disaster on account of he had no venue, no... Uh, technical crew, no cast, and, uh, just, uh, doesn't really seem like he prepared at all. Yes, it's just, he kind of did a bad job. <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, Harry is, like, going between, like, yeah, sympathizing, but also kind of ribbing him. You get the sense that he's known Carrington for a long time, uh, that Carrington drinks here a lot. He probably should stop doing that. Uh... And at some point, they're talking about Harry's old janitor, who he used to employ there before money got too tight for him to have any staff. And uh, Carrington found him underground, and he brings in Brandon the janitor from back in Act 2, who uh, says he's going to just go clean the bathroom. And Harry's like, fucking, I can't pay this kid. What are you doing to me? And he goes in to talk to him. And Brandon is curled up on the floor with a roll of paper towels as a pillow, and he's asleep because he doesn't have anywhere else to go. And Harry just kind of lets him sleep there. And I like this. Yes. Uh, because Harry 
we talked a lot. There's a lot of characters in Kentucky Route Zero that are ostensibly decent people who do abominable things to other people. Uh, and I like... I am not saying that letting Brandon take a nap in his bathroom uh, somehow balances out the scales for him, again, selling three people into slavery. It obviously doesn't. But I just like the idea that, like, we're closing on Harry making a charitable gesture. And the idea that, like, yeah, it hammers home that idea that, like, the way to win is to care about people. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, this is... This, again, doesn't balance things for Harry, but it's a step in the right direction, him just doing a small, selfless thing for somebody else. And to also recognize that even when these people do awful things, they're driven to do these awful things by the machine we live in. Right. Like, it, it is through his debt and, like, if the concept of his debt and if the Consolidated Power Company was not allowed to consolidate so much power uh do you get it yeah do you get it (laughs) i like yeah i was just gonna say that he he would not have to have gone to that and done that horrible thing yeah like he didn't need to do that horrible thing but they they yeah they also imply that he didn't have a lot of options yeah yeah Um, and like carrington kind of brings him around on like being kinder by quoting a Robert Frost poem uh, from the death of the hired man. Uh, the quote he chooses is home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And Harry like asks what Carrington thinks it means. And Carrington says, Oh, I take it very literally. It's a moral claim. There is for each of us a place called home. The relationship is inalienable. It's our birthright. No one may keep us from this place. And Harry asks, says who, though? I mean, who enforces it? And Carrington says, uh, in, I think, what is the thesis for the entire game, if God won't, then it's up to us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's just like, by the hard times logic, you know, if you're following the formula, Brandon's gonna owe Harry, like, a day's worth of rent for what he's doing. And we don't see it, but we know full well Harry's not gonna charge him. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, like, part of the way to fight back against capitalism is to just, like, reject its logic. Yeah, like, because under capitalism, literally everything should have a monetary value. Right. So that almost any action you could take that is not, like, directly sourced from your own labor uh, and your own possessions will incur some sort of debt. Yeah. And so, and everyone is like incentivized to keep track of every debt people owe them and every debt they owe other people. Right. And the, and like the, one of the biggest questions that this game asks the, is like, do we need to do that? Right. <laughs> it's, it's doesn't the, matter. It's the ending of Full Metal Alchemist. It's instead of when you give me one, I pay you one back, what if I pay you two back instead, just yeah. for no reason? What if equivalent exchange is bullshit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> that being kind to each other, even in the incredibly small ways, yeah, is ultimately, like, what... It, it's just 
antithetical to capitalism in such a basic way that it is also what can help destroy it. Yeah. Uh, Emily also shows up during this part. Um, and kind of... I, I forget the conversation she has, but she kind of has a disagreement with Carrington about what that quote means. Yeah, so you're actually controlling Emily because she's the one... Con- Carrington implies she's the one that is switching through the TV stations. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um... Let's see here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the lines you're talking about. Yeah, I... I would love to have the text dump to look at in front of me but i don't here uh, let me just link it to you okay um i'm trying to find the line you're referring to uh we can just cut this out later yeah uh it's it's a lot of them talking about the tv show yeah yeah it is yeah uh, okay, wait, I think I found it. Uh, let's see. Oh, is it the where's that place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in? Yeah, she says, I was just thinking about your poem. Oh, yeah, but I was thinking about it as a riddle. Like, what's the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in? And Carrington says, the answer is home. And Emily says, no, it's a grave. Uh. But, um, Tish. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's uh, that's a very um, dour way to look at it. <laughs> it's a dour way to look at it, but I think also, you know, it's the point that, like, Harry's asking, well, who enforces it? Like, the only one that, like, is inalienable is dying. Everything yeah. else you have to make happen. And as said before, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, fuck capitalism and then go home. Yeah, fuck right, capitalism, uh-huh. go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's that's the moral of Kentucky Route Zero. Uh, I have two questions. Ooh, sure. Okay. Uh, because we, I decided to do that. Yeah. From at Gatsby Low, what kind of setting slash genre would you want to see cardboard computer tackle next? Hmm. The idea of cardboard computer having a uh, next. Right. Is so for like, it's just like I'm at that point where it's like, yeah, I'll just give them money. I yeah, it's like this yeah. is just it, right? They don't need to do anything else. They, they already made the perfect game. Yeah, in my mind, like <laughs> I think they're uh, a stronger developer, but they're in the same category as Simogo for me. We're like, yeah, no, just sight unseen, day one, I, you got it. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure what I'd want them to do, like. I, I would like them to write a cyberpunk game. Yeah, I was leaning in that direction as well. Because I, I, yeah. I think they would actually give a shit about what cyberpunk is supposed to be about. <laughs> like, I know that like a lot of people have compared this to uh, another cyberpunk game that came out recently, which is... Uh... Oh, jeez. No, why'd this, go- why'd this go? Why'd this leave my mind? I don't mind? know. Um, what game are you thinking about? It... This is an adventure game that just came out, cyberpunk game. Uh, that it just came out, or like, because the the one, it it wouldn't be Red Strings Club, would it? No, it's no, no I didn't think you, so. You played it, Luke. 
Oh god, what I've played it? Yeah. Fuck. Can you give me can you give us some context? Yeah, please? like can you give me anything what do you about do it? In it? There's slurs in it. Oh, oh, oh. Disco Elysium. Yeah, yes. Disco Elysium. Yeah, okay. Weird. I don't consider that cyberpunk, even though it kinda is. Yeah, I get why you're calling it that, but that's not like what comes to mind for me for it. I yeah, but like I was like that's kind of what I was trying to get at is like yeah, yeah. like that is cyberpunk. I like how the tip off was it has slurs in it. Yeah, well. <laughs> Listen, I like I that game, but also yeah. that we don't have time for. Yeah, we definitely don't. Uh, that's for the like twelve hour. Oh, good Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, honestly, I have way more to say about KRZ than I do about Disco. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I uh, like Disco Elysium I like a lot, disco. probably more yeah. than Luke did, yeah. but uh, yeah. I, 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 also... I can dance to it. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, like, I, I would want them to do just, like, a full deep dive. This is, like, we're doing cyberpunk. Yeah, with, yeah, go ahead. With their, like, eye for visual flair and mm. writing, it, I think it'd be great. Yeah, I feel like my initial response to that question is just that, like, Kentucky Route Zero is so unique and so striking that, like, I don't want them to do something that I know. Like, I just want them to surprise me again in a similar way. Like, again, it it's, reminds me of Samogo, where I would have never said, ooh, I'd love for them to make a game where you're a biker ballerina hunting down cosmic tarot cards through subspace. But, like, <laughs> they did that and it kicks ass. Yeah. The only yeah. thing I could maybe see, it would be interesting to see them go for something that is more um, uh, high energy, as opposed mm. to like Kentucky Route Zero, which is very like quiet and slow for the most part. It would be cool to see like what does high octane cardboard computer look like? Yeah, that would be fascinating. I almost want to like see what their metroidvania would have looked like <laughs> yeah like yeah. what if the next one is like oh it's a first person shooter it's like oh right. yeah okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the other thing though like i obviously trust their writing and their visual design a lot uh they didn't necessarily i don't know one way or the other if they'd be good at making a first person shooter or a metroidvania you know yeah <laughs> they that's might not fair. really have the skill set for that um and I'm interested, like, with what if they made like a like a dating sim visual novel? Sure. Yeah. It's just you dating all the people from Hard Times. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh no, no, not not from the Hard Times. No, don't set it in KRZ world. Yeah. yeah. Also that. All like what Everyone I want there is from, too sad. What I want from them next is just anything not KRZ. That's also true. Yeah. 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 Which I don't. I think that they have spent their time. <laughs> with yeah, Kentucky. I imagine they're excited to get away from this setting, not because they're you know dislike it, but because it's been seven more for them, like probably more like ten years, and yeah. uh, they're ready to not think about it for a while. I, I've heard that they were like, yeah, we're we spent so much time in secret that it was like, and like trying to like be all mysterious about this, that it was like actually bad for our mental health. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it's like so like now going forward we're going to be very open about what we're doing and what we're, how we're producing it and everything. Right. Well, because the thing I remember them seeing is that like 
they the thing that really bummed them out was when people like joked about like oh that game's never getting finished they're like no we're we work on it every day we promise it's gonna get finished yeah, yeah. And honestly like that started to really grate on me as well yeah it's yeah. Th- there are two camps that both annoyed each other a lot the that game's never gonna get done ha you're still waiting for act five loser that's annoying i but on the flip side the holy shit kentucky Route zero is the best game ever uh is also annoying and i'm guilty of it yeah yeah like, but also one is true and the other is false <laughs> i there was a period of time where like me i always was kind of like yeah it'll come out eventually but like we were like joking at pax like oh i can't wait for whenever kentucky route zero comes up to win the game of the year award for that year yeah, yeah. yes yeah I, I have joked for a good five years at least that yeah oh kentucky route zero is game of the year whatever year it finally finishes Yes. Um, and then, uh, second question is, the opposite last one, which is, uh, what's the most on-the-zero experience you can remember having? Interpret what that means as broadly as feels appropriate. Mm. That's from Infinite Justine. Oh, man. Uh, I've kind of talked about my Kentucky Road Zero experience. Like, my, my Zero experience. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe even on this podcast. It's hard to remember anymore. Right, yeah. What was it? Uh, that it was driving from uh, the church that my grandparents uh, like lived next to and preached in. Uh-huh. Uh, through Ohio, driving through cornfields, as like all of these religious signs were next to it, and also signs that just said like corn and like peaches, and <laughs> only being able to get a crackly religious like hymns and preaching radio on my car stereo okay yeah yeah i can see that what about you dustin i can't i don't i don't think i've ever had like an experience that's that's particularly close to this to the zero not not because like partly because like i've never really had chances Uh, unfortunately like a lot of the the only road trips I've been on are ones where I was very young and I was taken by relatives, so I haven't gotten to experience that sort of thing for myself. Though I do desperately want to someday. I, I think the closest I get is like driving up from Phoenix to Flagstaff. Um, there's the normal route you can take, which is uh, up the Black Canyon Highway. Uh, just just take a straight north um or at some point you can diverge onto a different highway that takes you on a more scenic route through sedona and then up through the the coconino forests um that are to the north of sedona and that area is like a narrow and windy path through these dense trees um and at one point like you you have almost like this the road snakes up this like mountain because like you're going up this entire time on your way to flagstaff and so at, at one point at the end of the at the end of this whole like s curve area where you're keep going up and up 
Like, you can stop at a sort of viewpoint where you can then, like, look back on the route you just drove up. Um, and seeing that road in perspective, like, how high it go, like, how high you are now compared to where you used to be and exactly what you did to get up there. Um, and all the nature you're surrounded by is a really, it's a humbling experience. Yeah. I think that's probably the closest. Yeah. I can think of two. One was when I was in high school and this is more of like a, uh, a June bug kind of thing. I had a friend who was uh, a musician. He could play like a bunch of different instruments. Uh, he played, like, slap bass for, like, the drama club, <laughs> but also he was, like, in a band. Uh, and because he was this guy, he got a used Volkswagen van as his car. And I don't really remember anything about where we were going or what. I just remember sitting in the back of his shitty old VW car uh, van with him playing some weird music I'd never heard and looking down and seeing that, like, there was a seam between where the floor and the wall met where you could just see the road. Oh, God. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> that was concerning. Um, I have one that is uh, not exactly, like, road trip-based. Okay. Uh, which I think also just fits in, which is when I was talking to a dude outside this burger place I like, and we just started, like, a conversation, and he was like, I had a Splatoon hat on, and he was, like, asking what the language on it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I gave him five bucks for a burger, and he goes, uh, you know, like, I thank you, and God thanks you, and I'll tell you what. He'll keep you one he- uh, step ahead of the uh, the cannibals. And he walked <laughs> off, and I feel like that's like, yeah. that's a- That is a very KRZ conversation. God, it is good to be among friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, my other big one I was going to bring up, Ashley, was one that we both have, because we were there together. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which was when I helped you move from Florida to Seattle, and uh that is one hell of a trip oh yeah it was oh yes (laughs) it was a long drive uh of of like it was like three days wasn't it it was three or four it was like four days it feels like it'd be at least three days minimum like it it would take me 24 hours to get to seattle and arizona isn't arizona is roughly on the same side of the country i think it was supposed to take like five or six days and we did it in three or four yeah. Jesus, Luke. We we made a bad decision at one point. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Uh, we got to, we were in, I'm sure I'm getting the order that states go in wrong, but we were in like South Dakota and we were coming up on Montana. And the thing about Montana is there is stuff on the east side of it and stuff on the west side of it and nothing in between. Yeah, and I've been to like, South Dakota before. It was like 5.30 when we got to some little town in like eastern montana and we were like well it's still kind of early you want to keep driving yeah, uh, like, it was kind of a thing where it's like we can stay at this small like little town at their motel 
but we'll be like stopping like three hours before we usually do. Right, or I think it was Billings, Montana, like we could power through and drive to, but that'd be driving a little longer than we were used to. And we went with, okay, you know what, let's go. I have heard a lot of people say that because Montana is so empty, there's no light pollution and like the stars are really beautiful in Montana, so why don't we why don't we do it? It'll be it'll be a fun drive at yeah. night. And also it was like, oh, this is the difference between like going to uh like arriving here at this time. Like, you know, like arriving to in Seattle like at like th- like the night or staying an extra night in a hotel. Right, uh. yeah, yeah. Uh so we went with it. Um the sky was completely overcast. There was not a star in the sky. <laughs> uh, it's just a lot of long, straight road in total darkness. Uh, we had a lot of, like, heartfelt conversations about a lot of things that are private. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was it was a very good talk. I feel like it deepened our friendship a lot. And also, uh, at some point, the road just stopped existing. Oh. And we were just driving on dirt, and there were just... It was like a labyrinth of traffic cones that didn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to them. (laughs) We drove past, like, a gas station where it was like... All the lights inside were off, but the lights outside were on, and we're like, nope, that's definitely haunted. (laughs) And uh, eventually we found the road again, but, uh... There was there was a point where like, actually, I think we just drove into hell. I think we might be in hell. Yeah, like we were like, oh, I th- this is when we die. <laughs> There's gonna be a hitchhiker with like a brief a guitar case. We must drive past them. At the, at some point, like you just see like Jason Voorhees in your headlights. Right. Yeah. Like yeah, there's just suddenly someone in my back seat, even though my back seat is covered in yeah, like, yeah. shit. Uh, <laughs> And, like, there's the thing I remember most about that is driving around and there being no stars in the sky. Yep. Just clouds and just seeing deer lined up alongside the road. Right, yeah, I forgot about the deer. Man, fuck, fuck deer. Yeah. And just me those being, assholes. being worried that, like, well, if one of those deers decides to go for it... Yeah, like, there's not enough light for us to be able to stop in time. And if we, you know, if that deer goes through my windshield, we're done. Like, that's it. That's yep. it. Like, it, it will kill us, probably. Probably, but, hopefully. Probably. <laughs> but it also um, is a thing where, like, we're just going to have to, like, like, we can't walk anywhere. We just have to stay in my car until, like, we can get something. Like, so someone can, like, come by and help us. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's something that is great to talk about afterwards. Yup. Yeah. It makes for a great story. Terrifying experience in, for, in the moment, I bet. Exactly. Yeah. I think that wins for the most Kentucky Route Zero story. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. It only took yeah. us what, like six, six hours? hours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at 
Five hours, 42 minutes. <laughs> and I need to sleep. Yeah, you guys should go to bed. Yeah, yeah. so th- thank you everyone for listening to this uh, absurd marathon uh, of a podcast. I'm almost certainly going to have to split this into multiple parts because there's no way in hell that uh, the website is going to let me upload a file this large in one piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, you can you can find me at Stilts the GM. Uh, Luke, where can listeners find you? Uh, at SSJ Speed Racer. Uh, uh, Ashley at underscore yuri uh at yuri underscore librarian on twitter and uh patreon.com slash ashley lee minor on patreon give ashley your money yeah yeah uh also read luke's kentucky route zero article which i'll link in the show notes yeah Uh, you know if you want (laughs) i mean i did for the kingdom hearts podcast yeah uh and i don't have an outro for this because i'm too tired yeah that's fine Good night, everybody. And Dustin, and Dustin drifted off to sleep, <laughs> feeling like he'd done something. Didn't know if it was a good something, but it was something. You're already way too flowery. That's not how this game's written. Dreaming no, yeah. of horses. <laughs>